So if you're not familiar with a story of the book of Jonah, you could just get Austin's song and kind of listen to that. And he, he sent me a text. He was like, hey, check my theology on this one. I say, it's pretty solid, brother. You got it. Good and, good and set. The only one I didn't know about was James Bartlett. I couldn't find him in the Bible at all. So that was the only <laughs> We're all good. You know, there's a lot of reasons we run from God. And perhaps the context of what brings you here is an evidence of what we landed on last week, that God gives us a free will, that we can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Like sometimes we, we run from God uh, having full awareness of what he's all about. Like maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've been around church a long time, and maybe you know all about the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're a little bit like Jonah, like Jonah's a prophet. Like he knows all the answers. He's memorized all kinds of scripture. He's got a reverence for God, a respect for God. And maybe you're a little bit like that. And, and maybe you're running is, you know, you, you appreciate when people around you live up to those biblical values and standards. But you yourself right now, you're just choosing, you know what? I don't, you're just going to kind of do it your own way. You're like, you know, I appreciate everyone else. I like it when people are, are people of integrity and I appreciate when they're honest and loving and kind around me. But you're just kind of interested in kind of doing your own thing your own way. You're running. Or maybe it's that you haven't been around church in a long time. Or maybe we're never raised in the church, and you're not quite sure where you're at with the God, faith, Jesus stuff. Matter of fact, you're quite surprised that you're here, or maybe listening to it online at some point, and you're kind of surprised that you're on the receiving end of these kinds of words and this story. But really, there's an instinct inside of you. Even if you haven't quite settled the faith part of it. You're, you're not quite sure, but there's an instinct. I think I'm, I'm of the belief that God plants in our instincts something that he wants to make sure we don't miss the point on. So when you're laying in your bed at night and you're watching that ceiling fan spin, there's an instinct that kicks up. It says you've got some things to get sorted out, and you know it. But instead of kind of following that instinct, you just turn up the noise and distraction factor in your life in response to it, and you're running. Or, or maybe others of you, you're currently walking with God, doing your best to honor Him with your life, and seeking to follow His will, and He's become very clear with something He's asked you to do. And your response is just like Jonah's no, it's not gray. It's not a misunderstanding of what he wants you to do. You're simply not going to do it, and you're running. Now, here's the interesting thing when we're running. When we're running, often what we do is we think about when we're going to end our running. Like, we actually, in our heads, we rationalize and we go, you know what, I'm going to schedule down the road my point of surrender. Anybody else do this? I think this is what we do sometimes. We're running. We got, we're going to plan out somewhere down the road. I know I'm running now, Lord. I know it. But he, at this point, I'm going to surrender and get all this stuff sorted out. So when you're, when you're single, Lord, I'm going to run until I'm married. When I'm married, I'm going to settle down and stop running. Or when, when you're married, it's, you know what, I'm going to run until we have kids. And then heaven knows when you have kids, you're going to be on your knees and thrust back to the Lord. And No, you're going to say, hey, when we have kids, i got to get this faith stuff sorted out. i got to come back to God because when we have kids, we want our kids to grow up with a good foundation. We want them connected to church. So I'm going to run until we have kids. And 
Or, or, or others of you are like, yeah, I know I'm running, and like, summer's coming. You know, Lord, like, I know, like, there's some things we've got to get sorted out. I recognize there's some surrender stuff we've got to work through, but Lord, do you see, like, what I'm planned out for the summer? How about we pick this up on Labor Day? Like, Labor Day weekend, Lord, we'll pick up the dialogue. See, we, we think about when we're running. We know in our heart of hearts that we're running for all kinds of reasons. And sometimes the running doesn't have to be kind of bold, in-your-face, antagonism and rebellion, a little bit like Jonah's. You don't have to be all the way over to Tarshish and you're running. Your running might be quite subtle. It might be just a steady drifting. It might be just a distraction. It might be you remembering those times when you knew you were walking in step with the Lord. And you remember that, and you know you're quite a ways away from that for all kinds of reasons. That running can look like that. But where we left Jonah off was that in his running, he couldn't outrun God. Hallelujah for that. All of us are a testimony to that reality, that his grace is relentless. His pursuit is unstoppable. He just keeps coming for us, and he never gives up on us, even when we're on a ship 2,000 miles away from where he wants us to be. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun him. And so where we left Jonah off in the story is, you know, he's on this boat, which, by the way, was a terrible decision, which we talked about last week. When you're running, you, you tend to make really unwise choices. And getting on a boat and going across the Mediterranean, having a long boat right there, very dangerous, life-threatening. And sure enough, wind, waves, storm, they're tossing cargo, the sailors are there, they go down, Jonah's asleep, which is another thing we're kind of the last one to recognize you know what's really going on? We got our head completely buried in the sand or completely in the bow of the boat. We have no, everyone else sees, connects the dots but us when we're running. We talked about that last week too. That's kind of Jonah. He's asleep. And so then they go to Jonah, like, Jonah, like, what's up with this? We don't we think the ship's going to go down. He's like, toss me overboard. You know, in the, like last week, one, two, somewhere in that sequence, somewhere in the one, two, three, somewhere some things started to shift inside of Jonah. And he gets tossed into this raging sea, end of chapter one. Now, this is going to be the hardest part of the story. It's going to be hardest for you to swallow what's happening here. Hard to swallow this. I'm not going to use that too much. I just had to say it one time. This is the toughest part, right? This is a part where you go, you know, I'm just not sure I can kind of stomach what's happening in Jonah. This is the part. Because what happens in the story is this giant fish goes James Bartley on the story, swallows Jonah up. And here's a principle for this morning. When the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, things start changing. When the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, when those scales tip, things start changing. That's where we pick up Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 1. So he's tossed in, fish swallows him up. He's there three days and three nights. And what you have in chapter 2, you need to think of it as like a journal entry from Jonah. He's writing a journal of his prayer. Because look what it says, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed 
to the Lord his God. I said, I bet he did. I bet he did. And here's his prayer. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So we're looking at three movements on the journey to surrender through chapter 2. This is a, a turning point, not just for Jonah, it can be a turning point for you and me today. And these will be three movements to this place of surrender. And the first one comes from how amazing is the first line in his prayer. So I called it circumstantial brokenness. This is the first movement to the journey to surrender. What does he say? Verse 1, first words out of his mouth, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Is that not a commentary on the human experience? Is that not your story and my story and our story? That when the waves are crashing in and the storm is raging and we're at the end of our rope and we're boxed into a corner and we can't see, oh, we're going to get through whatever it is we're going through. In that moment, circumstantial brokenness has an ability to transcend intellect. It transcends theology. It transcends all the excuses and rationalizations and resistance that we've had. Enough distress is raging in our life that we join Jonah and we call to the Lord. Man, that, that's not just unique to somebody who gets swallowed up by a whale. When the pain of our current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, stuff starts changing. I have a friend who has a son who has a disease where they're not able to feel pain the way we feel pain. And he was talking to me several years ago about how difficult it is as a dad to parent this son because he can't experience pain. So his son will jump off the top of the playground and snap a bone in his ankle but he doesn't know it. So he plays the rest of the recess on the playground with a broken bone in his ankle. By the time they show up at the orthopedic, you imagine the orthopedic surgeon looking at this and going, um, this is like significantly worse than if you'd have just come in right when it broke. Like it, this looks like it's had major infliction on top of infliction. He just couldn't feel the pain. Sometimes when we're running, we think God turns up the distress factor in our life. It, he notches, puts it up a couple of notches. We think it's like he's trying to punish us, like he's trying to get back at us. And, and I want to put to bed something here. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he handled all that was due us in our running and rebellion. Jesus took on himself the full measure of the punishment that's due us for all our Jonah-like running, in small degree or large degree. God's pursuit of us in Jesus is no longer to pay us back. It's not about punishment. It's not about condemnation. 
God's pursuit of us. He turns up the storms. He sends the waves. He sends the fish. He, he ratchets up all the chaos, all the confusion, all the brokenness, all the mess. Your life continues to unravel a degree. And do you see this now? It's God's relentless pursuit of you, not to pay you back, but to bring you back and turn you back. It's about redemption. It's about relationship. In your distress, you can call to the Lord. And the amazing thing in this prayer is, what does Jonah say? He says, and you hear me and you answer me. Isn't this a wonderful thing about our God? That he hears the desperate cries of desperate people in desperate circumstances. That's our God. He hears us. He sees He knows, and here's his heart, he moves towards us in our brokenness, in our lostness, in our chaos, in our hurt, in our pain, in our distress. God moves towards us. And often he moves towards us by turning up the size of the waves and turning up the frequency of the storms and sending the next large chaos event into our life. Some of us go, well, and God's just got it in for me. Instead, we need to shift, find what Jonah's finding here, that in this circumstantial brokenness, it's a movement to surrender. It's God calling out. It's God calling, come back, surrender, receive my grace. I haven't given up on you. You might have given up on yourself. A whole bunch of people might have given up on you. But one thing's for sure, God's never given up on you and me. There's absolutely nothing you've run into, no matter how long you've run into it, no matter what you've been caught up in, you are not beyond the love and grace of the God of Jonah. You are not. And he'll come after us with circumstantial brokenness. And he's trying to tip the pain scale enough in our life, the pain being a gift from God. It's an unbelievable teacher, is it not? How do you learn without pain? Like, it's like, well, when he gets that t- pain scale to tip a little bit, get your current circumstances and the pain of change, and if he can get that to tip, stuff's going to start changing. He's going to move us to this place of surrender. And now we pick it up here, verse 3, and notice what happens. Listen to what Jonah says after he knows God's hearing his cry. He says, you, underline the U's through all this, you hurled me into the deep into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now jump down to verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. How about that? I love the Bible. Are you kidding me? Details like this are amazing. Jump down to the second part of verse 6. Underline this. But you... You know, Mother's Day 2018 could be a but you, Lord, moment right here. Brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you toward your holy temple. So there's God's nearness in the brokenness, the second movement. So he goes from circumstantial brokenness, he recognizes things are completely under. Can you imagine Jonah like he... he, He just kind of wakes up from this unbelievable being tossed in the water, and now he's in the belly of this whale, and he's, you ever been there where you just kind of wake up and you look in the mirror, you go, wow, how did I end up here 
in this? How is my life looking like what it's looking like? This is a complete mess. I got seaweed around my head. I'm in the belly of this whale. I've got no idea where this story's going now. I was just drowning in the water. Actually, was just asleep in the boat. Actually, was on dry land in Israel when I heard God's call. Then I got on the boat. Then I went to sleep. Then I went into the water. Now I'm in the belly of a fish. It's kind of death by inches, huh? Just one subtle run links into another running, links into another running, and you end up a long ways from wherever you thought you'd be. So from circumstantial brokenness, now here's what I want you to see. Notice how Jonah, something starts to shift inside of Jonah. He's shifting from running from God to recognizing God's nearness in the current running and brokenness. Do you see that? So he's seeing God is near and he's present when I'm running. I may think I'm 2,000 miles away from him. I'm actually just as close to him in the middle of that sea as I was if I was smack dab in the center of Nineveh. You can't outrun God. You can run from him, but you can't outrun him. And so from this place of brokenness of all the circumstances around his life, he's thrust into starting to turn. Do you see that shift in his heart? He's like, Lord, maybe there's more going on here. Can you picture just, I just tried to picture in the belly of this whale, no light. How dark is it in there? Calling out to the Lord and thinking, Lord, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you, the storms, the waves, even the sailors tossing me, and now this fish. Maybe it's you. And so he starts connecting God's pursuit That it wasn't just about all those other things. It was a but you moment. And this is when things start to shift for Jonah. He stops kind of blaming everyone else for his current reality. And he starts turning towards, you know, sometimes this happens with us, right? We can make it about blaming, right? It's a spouse issue, family issue, boss issue, church issue, whatever. We got all the fingers pointed to blame all these things about why things are distressful and unraveling in our life. We project outward onto others what's really at its core an us and God issue. So Jonah now is saying, you know what? Here's what I'm settling. I'm done pointing the finger at Ninevites and Israelites and whoever other ites and sailors, or even himself, I'm done pointing the finger at all that, and I'm recognizing it's a, not a me and you issue, it's a me and God issue. God's coming for me, and I gotta settle this. The only pathway forward is I gotta deal with God. And for some of you today, the Lord brought you to this service for that reality. You have been projecting out onto others around you in your life something that really, at the core of the core, it's a you and God thing. And today's the day to get that settled. So Jonah's in there. He's praying. He's got brokenness. God's nearness in the brokenness. And now watch verse 8. Verse 8. How about this journal entry? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. The TNIV says forfeit the love of that could be theirs. So from circumstantial brokenness to God's nearness and the brokenness, now here's the third movement in the journey to surrender. There's an awareness now coming to Jonah, an awareness of an empty pursuit. 
So follow this now. Here's what Jonah's discovering, which we'll all discover if we stay in it long enough. Here's what Jonah's discovering. Jonah's like, Jonah's discovering that when you give yourself to pursue something, you give your time, your energy, your effort, your money, and you're lasered in focus to achieve that, accomplish that, acquire that. When you get it, what you're finding is that really actually wasn't what you were ultimately looking for, and it's kind of letting you down in your heart of hearts. The Bible word for that whole sequence is idol. That's what, so what is idol or idolatry? We often have the wrong images We're thinking of like, you know, the show Survivor and the little, you know, immunity idol thing. We're thinking of that stuff. That's not what the Bible refers to idolatry. At the core of our running, I think, is idolatry at its core. Because we don't want to... We don't want to shift the ultimate like control and decision making from the throne. We don't want to move ourselves off of that because we're kind of convinced we know best. Like God, I appreciate that you want to give input here in my life and where this needs to go, but I really think in my heart of hearts, I got this. And so we stiff arm God. I call it giving him the spiritual Heisman. We give him that Heisman, we push him away and we say, I got this. And then we go all in, wholehearted pursuit to achieve, accomplish, acquire, and we lift up on the seat of most valuable in our life, something the Bible calls an idol. An idol is simply when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Like there's a lot of good things in life, family and career and money and ministry. Those are all good things. But you know when those good things become the ultimate thing, the Bible calls that an idol. And I love what Timothy Keller wrote about this. I put this in your notes because I wanted you to have this quote. An idol, he says, is something we cannot live without. We must have it. And therefore, it drives us to break rules, hear that, we once honored to harm others and even ourselves in order to get it. So there's a good little indicator of if you know something is kind of, if there's an idol jockeying around in the throne room of the heart, lobbying for that place of ultimate authority and value in your life, that's an idol. When an idol's trying to occupy that and it's just taking over your life and it's causing you to violate some boundaries and violate some values, you're, that's not who you really are, but something else has taken over in there. That's when Jonah's saying, hey, I, he kind of got swept up. What would you classify Jonah's idol might have been. I was trying to put some names to it this week. I'm thinking Jonah's idol might have been something in the self-sufficiency and self-reliance category. Jonah's idol might have had engraved on it the old song, I'm going to do it my way. We've all got a little bit of that in us somewhere, right? All the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve knew exactly what God wanted them to do and the serpent tempted him with the fruit and they're like, I'm going to do it my way. And at the core of that self-sufficiency and self-reliance is this, notice what he's coming to grips with now. Here's the place of surrender. He's, he's run. He's actually been running. He's a long way from Nineveh. He's actually getting where he wanted to go towards Tarshish. But here's what he's finding. What does he say? It's, he's, the word he uses, forfeit. He's kind of got idolatry wrapped up in his running, and it's forfeiting the grace or the love. So here's what we know. Here's what we know if we stay in this running long enough. When you pursue something and you actually accomplish it and it lets you down and in the quiet space of your heart, here's what you grasp. 
It wasn't worth everything you had to give up to pursue it. That's what the forfeit word means. So I want you to think about in our own lives, in our own journey, right? We, like, so for Jonah, he's like, I'm running. So in his running, here's what he had to do. In order to, in order to pursue what he wanted to pursue, he had to stiff arm God. He had to push away that everyday companionship with the Lord. Now, God's love towards him hasn't changed. I'm just saying the, I'm saying the everyday companionship, nearness, experience of living life with God. That Jonah's waking up one day, and I think we wake up to this at some point, and maybe it's today that we wake up to and go, hey, you know what? It's not worth what I had to give up in order to accomplish it. The, the exchange rate wasn't good enough. The pain factor that God lift up, it wasn't for me to suppress, push it away. It was for me to call out to the Lord. And here's how you know that's really true. Because when we're in that place of brokenness and despair, when everything has come to the end of our rope, in our heart of hearts, we don't go after wanting to pursue more and more of what we thought we wanted to pursue. What do we really in our heart of hearts, if we listen to it, what is their instinct calling out? Call out to the Lord. You are calling out to God at the core of your being. In that place of desperation, God hears the desperate cries of desperate people in desperate circumstances. He hears, he knows, he sees. And when you're in that space, you don't call out for more of the stuff that you were pursuing. Be that career, accomplishment, you don't call out for more of that. You really in your heart of hearts go, you know, I need to call out to the Lord. Because I forfeited some things and it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth giving up that, that moment of companionship. And just think about in our lives what we exchange. We take seasons of our life and we say, you know what, Lord? I know you're drawing me, but I'm just going to schedule my surrender later down. I'm going to go another decade or two or three down the road. And, and we forfeit. Think about the years and the decades of our life we forfeit under the banner of what we know is going to be an empty pursuit at the end of the run. It's not going to fulfill what we think. It's not going to deliver in the way we think it's going to deliver. And so Jonah says what I think we all come to at some point. My circumstantial brokenness and my distress, I'm going to call out to the Lord. And I'm going to recognize that God has been pursuing me in all this chaos. In the storms, in the brokenness, in the unraveling, in the mess, it was God. The seaweed is from God. The fish is from God. The waves are from God. Like God's coming after me, not to pay me back. Not to punish me, but to draw me back, to turn me back. It's about redemption. It's about relationship. He's saying, hey, don't forfeit another day, another week, another month, another year. Don't forfeit all of that for this empty, poor pursuit. You have to decide. You're going to stop running. And so here's how we're going to wrap this up this morning. Worship team, I'm going to have you guys come back up. I said last week at the end of the service, I, I said I ended the message last week. I said, I'm giving you seven more days to run. Pastor gave seven more days for permission to run last week. Guess what? Clock's up, time's up, ticker ended. 
Today's our day. And I'm going to invite you to do something during this song that, that I know is fairly bold. It's going to take a fair amount of courage. But you know, sometimes in our life, we've got to do something with our physical body to kind of seal what we know God is speaking into our heart. Sometimes it just involves. We've got, we got to physically respond with our bodies, and that's what we're going to do in a moment. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the front and to kneel at these places of prayer on the sides. And it's first come, first serve for the pillows. So there's like, I don't know, 12 pillows or so up here. So the first 12 that, that come, you get the pillows to kneel on. The rest of you get the nice hardwood floor. But here's, here's what I invite you to do. By you coming forward and kneeling, here's what you're saying to the Lord and to your friends and family who may be with you today. Here's what you're saying. I'm done running. I'm done running. I'm not going to forfeit one more day, one more week, one more month, one more season of my life. I'm done running. I surrender. That's what you're saying. And God hears the desperate cries of desperate people in desperate circumstances. And you're running and rebelling. It may not be as extreme as Jonah. It may be. But it may not be all the way 2,000 miles over. Maybe you're only a couple hundred miles into your wander. Whatever it is, you know in your heart of hearts if you're running. And today's the day to decide, I'm done. I'm going to stop running and I surrender. And so I know that there's some people maybe seated around you I thought about this week of just about how many people in our lives who God just sends to us who just don't give up on us. Aren't you grateful for the people in your life who just never gave up on you? And they might be seated with you this morning. There might be one or two or a host around you. And I want to invite you to grab their hand and ask them to come to the front and kneel with you. And by doing that, you're saying to them, hey, thank you that you never gave up on me. Thank you for praying, for believing, for guiding, even when I pushed you away. You know, sometimes when we stiff-arm God, we stiff-arm God's people too. We stiff-arm the very people who are trying to come to us and who are trying to help us and who are trying to encourage us, and we push them all away. And you being here this morning is evidence that God is not done with you yet. It doesn't matter what you've run into. Don't let the enemy hold that over you any longer that you're too far away, you're too lost, you're too gone. That's a lie. You are not. Look around. Every blue chair has a story. You are not beyond its grace, but it's decision time, gang. You got to decide. You can hear all of this today, and you can push it away and shove all the tugs and whispers of the Spirit today, and you can walk out this door and keep running, but know this. You cannot outrun God. He is coming for you. And I just want to encourage you, why not settle it now? Just say today, I'm done running. I'm not going to forfeit anymore.
I'm not going to waste any more of my life and time and energy around all this stuff that I think is going to whatever. And it's not. It's God who you're looking for. It's God who's calling out to you. It's God who's engulfing you. It's God who's boxing you in. And he says to you this morning, checkmate. And now the ball's in your court. And so this song's all geared around just kind of an overarching theme of surrender. And so as the team leads through it, I'm going to ask you to come. And if you don't want to bring anyone with you, that's fine. You come by yourself. But if there's someone around you or a couple people around you who've been instrumental in your journey, you grab their hand and you bring them to and you kneel together. And here's what you'll find if you'll do that. You'll find what Jonah found. You know what Jonah found? How amazing is this? Jonah's in the belly of a whale (laughs) at the bottom of a sea as dark as it gets at the end of his rope and he calls out to the Lord and the Lord hears him and the Lord answers him and the end of this chapter is he spits him out of his mouth the whale vomits I was thinking that's a projectile vomit now some of you moms got projectile vomit images in your head think about that projectile vomit Jonah's projectile vomited out it says onto dry land that's several feet Can you see him roll up sand all over him, rolling around? And then he heads to Nineveh. Amazing. The one guy who's going to go and declare that you are not beyond the grace of God. Guess who's going to declare that to the Ninevites? Jonah. Ha! So lest you think... You're outside of his reach. Come on now. If you'll come and you'll surrender and you'll say you're done running, here's what you're going to find. God's face has always been turned towards you in love. He says, come. I'm not done with you yet. Let's write another chapter. So you stand. The team's going to sing. You come and kneel here. If you're not able to kneel, that's fine. Just stand. But if you can kneel, I'd love it for you to kneel. It's that posture of surrender. And then at the end of this song, I'm going to come up and lead us in a prayer.